Thank you for listening to the Celebration Church podcast. For more information about Celebration Church, go to ccacron.org. There you will find information about our church, upcoming events, and how to make a contribution to the ministry of Celebration Church. We hope this message is an encouragement to you. This morning, if you have your Bibles, you can go to Galatians chapter 3. I want to take a look at living under the blessing of the Lord, and, and I'll, I'll probably take a couple of weeks to, to do this, but, but I, want to, I want to start this week, Galatians chapter 3, living under the blessing of the Lord. You know, I, don't, I would rather live under his blessing than his curse. <laughs> I, would, I would much rather live under the blessing and the favor of the Lord than the curse. And, you know, there's, there's people that do. They live under the curse. They live under the curse, and, and that's not what we're called to live under. Matter of fact, you can put your finger in Galatians, uh, and I'll just show you real quick. I mentioned this. I highlighted this last week, and uh, I'll highlight it again this week. But Deuteronomy 28, Deuteronomy 28, verse 2, these are the blessings. All these, everybody say all. All, all these blessings shall come upon you shall come upon you, I love this, come on you and overtake you. You know, this, the, the picture that I get here, my wife likes to run. She's a runner. Even when she's pregnant, she's running. And uh, when, with Zoe, she ran a 5K when she was, what, nine months pregnant? So, you know, she's a, she's a runner. She likes to run. To me, I think that's crazy. Why, inf- <laughs> why inflict pain on yourself unnecessarily? I don't understand. <laughs> But, but she, she enjoys it, she's blessed by it, and I'm, I'm blessed as the result of it. So I, I would rather her run and be stress-free than, so I'll, I'll take that. But uh, I get this picture, you know, this verse, you know, there's someone's running, and blessing comes running up behind them and overtakes. It's like... I would, I would love to demonstrate this this morning, but I would seriously hurt somebody if I tried. So I'm going to avoid the demonstration with someone else. But running, you get the idea, someone running and over jump, just being overtaken, mobbed by blessing. And so, you know, the Lord wants to just mob you today with blessing. Isn't that a wonderful uh, analogy there? He, he wants to overtake you. He wants you to be overflowing, inundated I'm stuck on this word lavish today. I, you know, I was studying this morning. And I just got lavish. I mean, he wants to lavish you in the blessings and not the curse. So he wants to come upon you and overtake. Y'all are really quiet for being blessed this morning. <laughs> he wants to overtake you because you obey. How does the overtaken blessing come? How does the being overrun by the blessing of the Lord? What's the what's the exchange there, what has to happen for that to happen, what's the prerequisite, if you will, because you obey the voice of the Lord your God. So if you're walking in obedience to the Lord, if you're walking in obedience to his direction, these are the blessings that are going to overtake you. Verse three, blessed shall you be in the city, 
Blessed shall you be in the country. Blessed shall you be the fruit of your body, the produce of your ground, and the increase of your herds, the increase of your cattle, and the offspring of your flocks. Blessed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Blessed shall you be when you come in. Blessed shall you be when you go out. The Lord will cause your enemies who rise against you to be defeated before your face. They shall come out against you one way, and they'll flee before you seven ways. Amen. The Lord, no, no weapon formed against you will prosper. The Lord will cause your enemies who rise against you to be defeated. I read that, but I want to read it again. They shall come out against you one way and flee before you seven ways. The Lord will command the blessing on you in your storehouses and all to which you set your hand. He will bless you in the land which the Lord your God is giving you. The Lord will establish establish you as a holy people to himself, just as he has sworn to you. If you keep the commandments of the Lord your God and walk in his ways, then all peoples of the earth shall see that you are called... By the name of the Lord, and they shall be afraid of you, and the Lord will grant you plenty of goods, and the fruit of your body, and the increase of your livestock, and the produce of your ground, and the land of which the Lord swore to your fathers to give you. The Lord will open to you his good treasure, the heavens, to give you the rain to your land in its season, and to bless all the work of your hand. You shall lend to many nations, but you will not borrow, and the Lord will make you the head and not the tail, and shall be above only and not beneath. If I mean, this just keeps going. (laughs) I'll take that. Sign me up for that. Y'all should be excited about this. This is the blessing that you're called to live under. This is the blessing that the Lord has called you to live under. Galatians chapter 3 and verse 13 says this, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. What is the curse of the law? If you keep reading in Deuteronomy 28, it tells you the curse. It's the opposite of everything we just read. (laughs) I don't want to live under the curse. I don't want to live under the curse of the law of sin and death. Everything that you touch dies when you're under the curse. When you live your life according to the curse, you're living according to your old carnal nature. And you know what? There are a lot of Christians who live according to their carnal nature. They allow their flesh, their emotions, and their circumstance to dictate how they feel and how they operate. But that's not what we're called to live under. We're called to live in the kingdom of God, to live and to operate under the kingdom of heaven. And so today I want to take a look at that. I don't want you to live under the curse anymore. <laughs> Amen. My, my job as your pastor is to push you over the edge. <laughs> I don't want you hanging out by the precipice by the edge. I want you fully immersed. Fully immersed in the presence of the Lord. Fully immersed in the call of God in your life. Fully immersed in all that God has. You know, people, we live in a world... We live in a world where people settle for mediocrity. We live in a day and age where it has has become acceptable to live in a mediocre life. That's mediocre in every aspect. You know, you see it in how people do their jobs. (laughs) Don't even get me... I'm not talking about our staff. I've... I've worked in the secular world, so I know. And it's, it's unbelievable the things, I mean, you know, I'm picking on Alicia. Alicia, that's what her breakthrough was a couple Wednesdays ago, how to deal with all of this. <laughs> you know, it's awesome when we step in. I'll never forget, I'll tell you a personal story. 
I worked for a, for a law firm for a while. Many of you know this. I, worked as a, as a, I actually worked as a private investigator for a law firm. I was a legal investigator for a while. So don't try to lie to me. <laughs> Either I'll figure you out or God will figure you out. Either way. Um, <laughs> anyway, uh, and I, I did that for a while. And, you know, in a, in a secular setting, especially at a law firm, everybody, you know, everything's in order and, you know, everything's by, by the books or should be anyway. And, uh, you know, we, I, um, I, li- I, was a, I was a pastor and I was working at the law firm. It was a part-time job. And, uh, you know, I loved what I did. I loved my job. And I, I worked as I would anywhere. I gave 110%. And, you know, people would come and they'd surround my desk and ask me questions about God, ask me about how, you know, one day I had every, every investigator and our lead investigator and, all, and a couple of our key attorneys standing right around my desk. And they're all asking, well, how, how do you get to heaven? And I'm sitting there just laughing on the inside thinking, Lord, you are so good. You know, I don't even have to open my mouth and you, they just come running. They just, you, you work it out. And so they're all standing there, and they're all asking, well, how do you get to heaven? Well, I'm glad you asked. You know, so this was on, ongoing, and I, I'll never forget one, one day I sent an email to, to our lead attorney. He was the top, top dog of our area of practice. And I just felt like the Lord say to me, you need to email him and just let him know that you're praying for him. And I thought, well, Lord, that's, you know, I'm going to get myself in trouble if I do this, but okay, I'll do it. And uh, so I sent the email and said, blah, 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 you know, I'm praying for you. He responds back to me and says, come to my office. And I thought, oh, Lord, <laughs> you done did it. I'm in trouble. So I go to his office, and, and he says, you know, let's talk. He said, first off, I need to preface what I'm about to say by saying I do not condone you talking religiously and about religious matters at work um, and via work email. He said, but now that I've said that and told you what I have to tell you, let me tell you what I want to tell you. <laughs> he said, I was yesterday on a flight coming back. I had gone out and done a deposition. He was on his way back from the deposition. And um, he said, there was this guy sitting next to me, and he kept reading this book. He said, and I, I was intrigued by the book because he, he was obviously immersed in this book. He said, so I, I looked at him. I said, what book are you reading? And he said, thinking I might be able to go buy this book and read it. And, and he pulls it out, and it was 40 Days of Purpose. It was when 40 Days of Purpose was big, and he was reading 40 Days of Purpose. Well, the guy sitting next to him starts to talk to him about Rick Warren, 40 Days of Purpose, and all that God's doing in his life. He begins to witness to him about Jesus and all of that's happening. And so he's, he's sitting on this plane, can't move, you know, for the whole flight <laughs> with this guy next to him, now that he's opened the can of worms, rambling on about Jesus and worship and evangelism and all that God's telling him. So he said, it's very odd to me that you would send an email telling me the very next day that you're praying for me after I just got a lecture from this guy sitting next to me on the plane. He said, so tell me, what do you believe? I said, thank you for asking that question. (laughs) I will tell you. And he said, well, I just believe, you know, so I told him, he said, well, I just believe that Noah and all of those people in the Bible, they're just good stories. And so I was able to share with him the message of the gospel. So the reason, I'm not sure why I got off onto that tangent, but but I want to tell you that if you begin to allow God and you begin to see God's possibilities in your life, not living under the curse, not living under, the, under the, the brokenness and the curse of your life, you'll begin to see God open up the possibilities and the doors for you. He'll begin to make a, a way 
for you to live out your faith. I don't know who that's for. That was totally random, and I was not planning on even sharing that story. But if you'll begin to stop operating under the curse of fear, and you'll begin to operate under faith and step out, God's going to do supernatural things in your life. So let's talk about what is this spirit of poverty, breaking the curse, breaking the spirit of poverty. I don't want to live under the curse. I want to live under the blessing of the Lord. The, the term poverty, to define it, means a state of being in lack to be deficient of something. Now, when we start talking poverty, immediately what just happened is people started to turn me off. They started, started to turn down the volume in their head and tune me out because all of a sudden we're talking about what? Finances. And I'm talking about so much more today than finances. I want you to step into the blessing of the Lord in every area of your life. This is related to your health. This is related to your finances. This is related to your family. This is related to your job. This is related to your spiritual walk with the Lord. So this is so much more than just your finances. Now, what ten, has tended to happen, it's happened in my own life, is that you have pastors and people who, who are afraid to talk about poverty and lack in church because in the 70s and 80s, we, we had the, the sore of the prosperity message and we saw the abuses and even today still see some of the abuses of the prosperity message. And so we tend to shield ourselves and shy away from the reality of this truth. But God help us that we don't miss the blessing of the Lord because someone else abuses a doctrine. So if this morning, if you feel like, well, I've heard this before, or the, you know, that's one of those prosperity, I am not a prosperity preacher. <laughs> I struggle even just to even step out into this area because I know of all the negativity that's out there. But you know what? I believe in the baptism in the Holy Spirit and spiritual gifts and signs and wonders. And there's people that have taken that and they've perverted that message as well. So I'm just going to venture on out into these waters this morning because I want you to live under the blessing of the Lord. One of the things that we've noticed uh, in coming into Ohio, and I don't mean this as a derogatory statement, but every area kind of has, you, you go into an area and you can, it just has its own spiritual strongholds. You know, in New Orleans, you, I mean, you, you, before you ever get into the city, sin just smacks you in the face. You know, you, there's the witchcraft and all the stuff, you know, it's all out there. And it's for everybody to see. And you don't even have to be spiritually discerning. To, to, you know, to know. You can get a baby, baby minutia Christian that's been saved for two seconds and they're going to tell you, oh yeah, this is bad. <laughs> you know, it doesn't, it doesn't take rocket science. But in, in coming to the area here, one of the things we immediately sensed, and it, it made sense to us why God spoke to us what he did in coming in, is this, this spirit of lack uh, or, or mentality of lack or poverty that we operate under and not faith. It, the derivative, the origin of the spirit of poverty, spirit of lack is found in fear. And I'm going to talk about that in a moment. It's, it's all based and rooted in a spirit of fear. And so today, I believe God wants to set people free from this stronghold, but he also is looking for a church and a people that will rise up and not succumb to the spirit of poverty and fear and who will believe God for the greater. 
Anybody hear what I'm saying this morning? That will not become uh, mediocre Christians. That will not stay in mediocrity, but will step in, pedal to the metal, full force. God, let's ride. Let's go. You know, Tony was talking about this. You know, I'll, I'll drive 60, 70 miles down an hour in the Harley. You know, he's got his Harley rolling and... You know, you hear it, you know, a mile off. That's, that's, the, that's the picture I get as Christian. We just need to pedal to the metal, full on, full force, let it rip, <laughs> and believe God for what, he, for what he has for us. Some scriptures regarding poverty and fear, uh, or the spirit of poverty or lack that we see in scripture. In Matthew 13, verses 58, it says, and he did, he did not do many miracles because there was what? There was unbelief. There was a lack of faith in Nazareth. And so Jesus was not able to do many miracles. A, a lack, a deficiency, spirit of poverty. Proverbs 10, 21, the lips of the righteous feed many, but fools die for lack of understanding. And so again, where does, how do we begin? We'll talk about this. How do we break the spirit of poverty? There has to be revelation of truth. There has to be understanding. Isaiah 5.13 says, Therefore my people go into exile for their lack of knowledge, and their honorable men are famished, and their multitude is parched with thirst. Matthew 16.26, For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world but forfeits his soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? Revelation 3, verse 17, the church of Laodicea, Because you say, I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing, and you do not know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. Yes, I say that funny. But... (laughs) So we, we see even here in Revelation, we see in Scripture that poverty and lack is not just tied to financial aspects. They were wealthy. Laodicea was very wealthy. And yet God says, you're in lack, you're in want. Amos chapter 8 verse 11 clarifies this and continues. He says, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord God, when I will send a famine on the land, not a famine for bread or thirst for water, but rather for hearing the words of the Lord. And Matthew chapter 13 verses 14 through 15. In their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is being fulfilled, which says, this is Jesus saying, you will keep on hearing, but will not understand. You will keep on seeing, but will not perceive. For the heart of this people has become dull. With their ears, they scarcely hear, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they would see with their eyes, hear with their ears, and understand with the heart, return, and I would heal them. And so a spirit of lack, a spirit of impo- a poverty, is, it's a prideful spirit saying, I can do it on my own. Some of the indicators you might find about this, some of the things that might be said or attitudes that might be had. Maybe you've said some of these. Maybe you know somebody who said these because, you know, nobody in this room has, has this problem. So, so I know nobody in this room said any of these things. We're all, we're all good. We're all in the clear, right? I can't afford to give. I've never done it that way before. I'm just being humble. You know, it's funny, we've mistaken humility, pride for humility. It's false, false humility. God is just teaching me a lesson. You know, let me just address that for a moment. God, you know, let me just back up. I am a loving daddy. I am not going to inflict pain other than discipline 
on my child intentionally. Those whom he loves, he chastises. But I, it does not say that he is a manipulative God. It does not say that God uh, lords over us and condemns us and caught, beats us up with this big, holy, righteous stick sitting in heaven, like the image that we have. He's a loving father. So he's not intentionally afflicting you. Do I believe that God can take every situation and circumstance that you face and use it for his, glo- his glory and your good, your benefit? Absolutely, I do. Do I believe that God knows the circumstances that we face, that he foreknows the circumstances and the situations that we're going to face? Absolutely, I do. That's why he sent Christ. He knew that we were facing eternal punishment and the consequences of a fallen world. He knew all that. It doesn't mean that he orchestrates it and makes it happen. We lit, are you hearing what I'm saying this morning? I, I feel like sometimes as Christians, we get under this curse mentality and we feel like God's out to get us when God's out to get something to you. He's not trying to get you and manipulate. God doesn't need to manipulate you. All right, I'll move on. I don't want to let anyone down. That might be an indicator. The continual sense of anxiety or a need to control things. You're laughing because you've been there. You might be there. Who knows? Operating from fear rather than faith. You always have a reason why you cannot do something. You're the first to always see the potential deficit of an opportunity. Well, if we do that, then... This means that we're going to lack here and this is going to happen, this is going to happen. And you know, it's funny because we call, you know, people who do this call themselves realists. Well, I'm just, I'm just realistic. I'm just real. Are you serious? I'm just getting started. <laughs> My wife's telling me wrap it up. I'm just getting started. <laughs> wow. I, ha- I haven't even made it through my introduction yet. I've got five <laughs> pages of introduction. You will. You look to blame others. Anybody know you're looking to blame someone else? They did it. The origins, as I said, of the spirit of poverty, the spirit of lack is found in fear. 2 Timothy 1.7 says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. Now, I, I just want to take a look at this context because, you know, Timothy... You know, poor Timothy, he's got his, his emotional issues written in the Bible. <laughs> you know, they're not going anywhere. We all get to learn from Timothy's emotional struggles. In uh, 1 Timothy, Paul says this. He, he tells Timothy, let no one despise you because of your youth. And to the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians, Paul actually wrote regarding Timothy. And he said, if Timothy comes, see that he may be with you without fear for he does the work of the Lord, as I also do, therefore let no one despise him. So obviously, Timothy had some insecurity issues, and he operated in a place of fear. He was pastoring a church that Paul had started. It was a very successful church. Remember Acts 19, the church of Ephesus became the revival center that started churches, birth churches all over Asia Minor. That, that was the place where supernatural, unusual miracles were happening, and now Timothy's pastoring these people, and 
and they've gotten older, and they've gotten more uh, sophisticated in their ways. And Timothy, a young, a young pastor, is trying to move them forward into the greater things that God has for them, but they're a little resistant. Well, that's not how Paul did things. Y'all are getting quiet up in here. That's not, that's not how Paul used to do it. Well, that's not what we did. That We've never done it that way. And Timothy's hearing from the Lord trying to move them down the path of what God has for them, but they're a little resistant. And so Paul writes to Timothy and says, don't allow them to despise you because of your age. God's called you. Remember, remember the day that I laid hands on you? Remember the day that you received a supernatural impartation? Stir that gift up. Don't let it become all the more zealous. Don't let them look down on you. Become all the more zealous with what God's given you. And uh, so that was Timothy. If you go back into Acts 16, you, you get a snapshot. And the reason I'm laying this out is because you have to understand the context of what Paul's saying and what, where the spirit of fear is originating. If you go back to Acts 16, you get the background story on Timothy's family. It's interesting that Luke and Paul both write about Timothy and his mother and his grandmother, father, was always absent. All the Bible says about Timothy's dad is that he was a Greek, his mother was a Jew. That tells me that, that in Timothy's family and in the context of the church, Timothy's mom and grandmother were accepted. His dad was not. And it sounds like from scripture and history that Timothy probably had some daddy issues. Nobody has daddy issues. I know this, right? And so as a result of his emotional struggle and things that were going on with his dad, it gave room and opportunity for fear. It, I, I, people are getting liberated just by me telling stories about Timothy. So this is good. So just because of understanding this, it opened the door for the spirit of fear. He had emotional strongholds in his life that he didn't allow God to heal, and it opened up the door for fear to come in. He needed acceptance. He, needed, he had insecurity issues. That's why, why would he allow someone to despise him? He was insecure in who he was. Y'all hear what I'm saying? So the enemy, the spirit of fear, the origin of this place of poverty, this place of lack, attacks these three key areas. It says it right here in, in uh, 2 Timothy, verse 1, or verse 7 of chapter 1, for God has not given us the spirit of fear, but a power, love, and a sound mind. First area it attacks is this area of the authority, the power, which in the Greek there is the same word, authority and power. Fear will always go after the authority and the power that God has given you. The first area it's always going to go after is questioning God's authority in your life. Go back to the garden. The Adam and Eve, God had given them authority to take dominion over the earth. And the very first thing that he questions is God's authority. And so we understand that, that the, the enemy, the spirit of fear, the spirit of poverty will question your authority as a believer. Fear Poverty, lack will cause you to question your identity in Christ. If you can begin to question your identity in Christ, you will live under the curse and not under the blessing because you don't know who you are in Christ. 
If you don't know who you are, if you don't know your identity, if you don't know the authority that God has released into your life, if you don't understand the power that has been deposited in you by the Holy Ghost, then when, when life happens, when family drama happens, when insecurities come up, when your financial trouble comes up, whenever whatever happens, happens, if you're not sure and secure and the authority and the power that God has released into your life, the identity of who you are in Christ, you'll be shaken by everything that happens. But when life comes, like the man who built on the rocks, when the man built on the truth of the, of the word of God, when you build your life on the foundation of Christ and who you are in Christ, the authority that he's given you, the power that he's given you, when life happens, you're standing steadfast and secure, immovable on Christ. All of a sudden, you can look at that mountain or that situation and say, move. Sickness has got to go. You know, I, I told this story Wednesday night, but a couple of weeks ago, you know, and, and it's, it's stuck in my brain because it was so vivid. For me, this was a vivid moment. But the Lord spoke to me on a Wednesday night about two or three weeks ago, as part of the miracle crusade. Some of you have heard this, but, but it, I'm standing, I think, right about in here, and the Lord very clearly dropped in my spirit, not, not necessarily audibly, but just by faith, dropped in my spirit, pray for everyone in the room who has any trouble. I'm thinking, okay, well, let's just do that. You know, you know not even thinking. And your natural brain, if the natural mind says, you're going to tell every single person here that has knee trouble they're healed. And if they leave with knee pain, you got problems, buddy. <laughs> you, you, you've just said something that didn't happen. And so we had everybody come up. Well, there was four or five people. Everybody, it was four or five people. To me, it was massive, you know? And so you have four or five people up here who need, and, and it's awesome to watch every person get healed. But in, that was by faith. That was not by what I saw in the natural. And so I can live by fear. I can live by lack in that situation and say, oh God, they're sick. They're, they've just touched them, Lord. Would you just console them, Lord Jesus? I, and, and you know, there's nothing wrong with that. That's where your measure of faith is. But, but that was not the faith that God was telling us to operate in at that point. It wasn't to be in a place of lack. It was to take, operate in authority and power. And there comes a point in our lives where we have to stop, and I know I'm going to step on toes by saying this, moaning and groaning over our situations and stop airing our trouble on Facebook and he did me wrong and she did me wrong and this, and start speaking to the situation. Stop Snapchatting your frowns and put your duck lips on. Do something. Get happy. Take authority over the situation and say, sickness, you will not rule my house. Debt, you will not rule my house. I'm going to tell myself no. You know, by the way, let me pause there. Taking authority and walking in power over your life in the area of finances does not always mean you're going to speak to your bank account and say, bank account, be fruitful and multiply. Sometimes taking, and that's a great idea, but, but sometimes taking authority and walking in power over your finances is telling yourself no. So first area is power and authority. Second would be the area of love. It's the word there, the agape love. 
Jude tells us that we need to pray in the Spirit, keeping ourselves, building ourselves up in our most holy faith, keeping ourselves in the love of God. That tells me as believers, the day and age in which we live, we must operate in some level of authority with ourselves to keep ourselves in the love of God. We have to take authority over our lives and stop allowing circumstance to rule our lives and say, self, I'm going to stay in the love of God. What happens when you do that? Well, one, you're building yourself up in your faith, but you're also perfect love cast out Fear. fear. So if you find yourself controlled by fear over your circumstance, guess where you need to be? In the love of God. Why do we take so much time to, to emphasize being saturated in the presence of God? Why do we take so much time to emphasize praying in the Spirit? Why do we take so much time and emphasize being saturated in the presence of God? Why? Because it's being saturated in His love. For God is love. When you saturate in His presence, you're saturating in His love, and you're no longer operating by fear. You're inundated with love. You're now, you're now moving I'm moving with the lamb. There's a song, moving with the lamb. It's an old song. You move with the lamb and stop moving with fear. Operating in the love of God. Now, I want you to think back, go back to the garden. Adam and Eve, you know, they, they had their issues. They sinned. And what was the first thing that happened? They were what? They were naked. Laugh, come on, get it out. Yes, I say that funny. I promise you, I'm always going to say it funny. <laughs> I, I get ridiculed about how I say naked. So, okay, naked, just get it out of your system. <laughs> they were naked. They saw that they weren't clothed, and they sewed together fig leaves, tried to cover their shamefulness. There, I avoided the word. <laughs> and they what? Hid. Out of fear, they hid. Here they were. They had been walking with God in the cool of the day. They knew God. They knew his presence. They were taking dominion over the earth. They were naming the animals. They were talking, obviously, with animals. Things were happening. They were having a good time in the Garden of Eden. But the minute that sin creeped in, along with it came fear. Along with it, along with it came fear, and they hid themselves. And God came and he had to find them. Where are you? Of course, we know God knew exactly where they were. God knows exactly where you're at today. He knows exactly what's going on in your life. He knows exactly the circumstance that you find yourself in. Stop hiding. There's no need to hide from him. There's no need to be in fear. When God comes looking, when he comes looking for you in the middle of your garden, whatever the situation is, immediately our minds begin to think, well, he's coming to chastise me. He's coming to rebuke me. He's coming, and you know what? He might do that. And he did that with Adam and Eve, but he did it out of love and made a sacrifice for them and made a way for them to continue on. He didn't just immediately annihilate them. He didn't immediately just say, oh, you're dead. We'll start over. Scratch. <laughs> Broke that one. Let's try again. That wasn't his attitude, but that's how we approach God. That's how we view God sometimes, is that God, when we, when we find ourselves in the middle of life circumstances, God's just going to come to us and say, well, you blew it. Sorry, you're done. 
And yet he's a loving God, a loving father. And he comes in and he clothes them and he provides a sacrifice for them. God loves you more than you could ever imagine. His love has been for you since before you were ever thought of. His love for you was in eternity past. He knew you. The Bible says that he knew you before you were ever conceived, he knew you. He knew every hair that you would have on your head and every hair that would fall out of your head. He knew every detail, your fingerprints, and all of the details, all of the minute details of your life. He knew and he formed, and there's nothing that takes him by surprise about you. Even your sin. He doesn't excuse it, but he loves you in spite of it. And he's drawing you in. The love of God. We don't operate under lack. We don't operate under the poverty. We operate in the kingdom of his love. And then thirdly, we see in this, in this verse that God has given us a sound mind. In the Greek, that means moderation or self-control. It means that God has given us a, a spirit or a, a mind of self-control and moderation. Isaiah 26 says, you will keep at perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. If your mind is not stayed on God, if your mind is not operating under self-control, you begin to live in compromise. It may not necessarily be sinful compromise, although it might, but it can be compromise in your emotions where you feel defeated all the time. If your mind's not in in a place of self-control, it begins to wander on all of the possibilities it could be. God has not called you to figure out all of the possibilities. Do you think that if God told you to walk into the promised land, that he's able to equip you to get into the promised land? It's whether or not you will see him, like I said earlier in the offering message, it's whether you will see him as the giant or the grasshopper. Will you see him as big enough and able and capable enough to meet the need and to bring you in? Or will you allow your mind to wander and in depression and discouragement? Listen, you need to take authority over your mind and bring it into submission. This is what 2 Corinthians says in chapter 10, verses 4 through 5. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought, say every thought, into captivity to the obedience of Christ. You know, we read this scripture, and, and a lot of times we, we quote it in the terms or context of, I got to pull down city strongholds. I got to break this and break that, and I'm going to do spiritual warfare. The greatest spiritual warfare that you can do is praying in the spirit and taking authority over your thoughts. If you can begin to take authority over your thoughts, James, we took a, uh, two weeks ago when we were talking about why we pray in tongues, we pray in tongues because it controls our mouth and then our destination. James said that our mouth is like a rudder. You need to start speaking spiritual language and the promises of God and allow your mind to be controlled not by your circumstance, but by the word of God and by the spiritual heavenly dictates, not what you want. That looks like when you face a difficult situation or you're, you're facing an addiction or, a, or an issue in your life, a sin issue, a family, you begin to pray in the spirit, you begin to speak the word of God over your life, then declare this is the promise of 
God for my home and for my family, for my fight, whatever it is, get in your Bible. Get in the word of God and find out what the promise of God is for you and what it is that you're facing and begin to speak the word of God and begin to pray in the spirit continually over those situations. That is what Paul talked about, praying with our spiritual language and praying in our understanding. It's the combination of the two. You pray the word of God, you pray in your heavenly language. You pray the word of God, you pray in your heavenly language. You can't go wrong. You can't go wrong. You're praying the word of God and you're praying in the spirit, the will of God. You can't go wrong that way. It's when you begin to pray according to your own word, your own will that you get in a bind. You start declaring your will and not his. So we operate not by a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. Well, that was my introduction. The Lord wants you to walk in liberty. He wants you to walk in liberty. If if you're worried if I'm going to continue, I'm not. I'm going to stop. (laughs) I have three. I have three more. I have three points in a closing, so we could be here another two hours or so. So I, I won't go that. We'll pick that up next week. Not operating. What it the the root. The basic, the root of a spirit of poverty and lack is founded in fear. If you can begin to stop living according to the spirit of fear, you'll find yourself living free from lack. How do you do that? You have to live under the influence of the love of God the sound mind, you have the mind of Christ. You have to begin to take authority over your mind and you have to begin to walk in the authority and the power that God has released into your life. You are not a powerless Christian. You have, you have the very DNA of God himself flowing through your veins. I, man, I wish, you know, the, can I just, can I go a little further just for a moment? Okay, Kathy said I could, so we'll take her word. You know, the world, the grace, this, this hyper-grace message that, that we see in the world that we live, is just do what you want, live how you want, and God will, God's loving. He'll forgive you because you, you can do what you want. That's not what I'm preaching. But because of that message, we've, you know, we've diluted our identity in Christ. We've, we've allowed ourselves by this modern message. It's not really modern. It's it's regurgitated stuff from Martin Luther. I mean, Martin Luther termed it and called it antinomianism at the Reformation he was dealing with this. So that, that's not, it's not a new doctrine. It's just rehashed. But as a result of it, we've diluted down our identity in Christ because we can live and we just do what we want because we're under grace. Well, that's not, that's not biblical. Grace changes who you are changes how you operate, changes how you live. So when you begin to really operate in grace and you really begin to understand grace, you really understand your identity in Christ. You understand all of a sudden, I'm not a weak, helpless Christian that's merely getting by. Oh my goodness, I can't wait for the trumpet to sound so I can get out of this horrible world. Listen, I'm all with you. I'm ready to get, I'm ready to fly. I've got my plane ticket already booked. And I'm first load. We're getting out of here. But 
In the meantime, I've been called to occupy and take dominion. In the meantime, I've been called to walk in the authority that God's placed on my life. So if I can't learn, and I'm just, I'm, I'm just taking a side journey here, but if I can't learn to operate in the authority and the power that God's giving me today, in this life, what does the Bible say that's coming for the believer? Post-rapture, what's happening? The believers will what? Rule and reign with him. How are you going to rule and reign with him in eternity if you can't learn in this life what it means to walk in the authority of the believer? So God, remember I said all the time, this is dressing room for eternity. This is all preparation for things to come. And so learning and understanding the authority and the power of the believer, not living under a spirit of fear, now will affect you in the days to come. You see, I'm not just telling you something to get you money and bring in what you want. I'm not, I'm not preaching a message so that you get what you want and have a nice car and a big house. That's not why I'm preaching this. I'm preaching this because this has eternal ramifications. This is an eternal message. It has eternal results. Awesome. Thank the Lord. I'm going to ask. Thank you for joining the Celebration Podcast. For more information, visit ccacron.org or call us at 330-762-7458. You can also download the Celebration app from iTunes or the Android store. With my father, it's so awesome.